Losing a loved one under any circumstance is tragic, but for families who lost a loved one on September 11, 2001 in an act of terrorism, the traumatic nature of their loss can become overwhelming, even after all these years. I'm Robin Shannon, and on this week's Fordham Conversations, I'm talking with Terry Sears, the executive director of Tuesday's Children. The organization provides programs to families who've been directly impacted by the events of 9-11. But first I sit down with Fordham University Junior and Tuesday's Children alum, Kevin Klein. Kevin remembers his mom, Susan. She died in Tower One of the World Trade Center. And for full disclosure, Kevin is also a reporter with WFUV News. I was in fifth grade, I think I was 10 years old. Well, it started out as a regular day. Um, waking up for school. My mom would usually, she left for work really early to catch the Long Island Railroad. So my dad would take us to school. I was in elementary school. I was in fifth grade and my older brother and sister were in middle school. So I was just kind of by myself in class. And I remember I got a, um, the teacher got a phone call and they asked to bring me down to the main office. And I, I wasn't really sure what that meant. I, I was little, I, for, for some reason I thought it was like, I was either in like big trouble or something but when I got there it was my um my dad was there the principal was there he just kind of told us he said um something happened to the twin towers and you need to come home and so we all just kind of my brother and sister were already there so we just kind of took us home to where my little brother was he had a babysitter had they told your brother and sister what happened they told them just about as much as I had that something bad had happened and we weren't really sure and did they say something bad happened to your mom, or did they just say something bad happened? We, they said something bad happened. We weren't really sure. But when we, we got home, we just tried calling every number she had. It was just a, a mess of trying to contact her. And now this is your, your father. Was anybody else in the house, any other adult in the house with you um, guys? It was me, um, my dad, my Aunt Kathy was there because she would babysit my little brother Tim while my mom and dad were at work. What um, did your dad do? He, well, he retired, but he used to be, he worked for the Long Island Water District, a company called H2M. So he'd like inspect water tanks and things like that. And what was your mom doing in Lower Manhattan? She was going to work, but where? She worked on the 96th floor of the North Tower. She was the senior vice president of Marsh and McLennan, um, which I know at the time was the world's largest insurance company. I'm not sure about now. And so you're there with adults and there's a lot of chaos. What were the kids doing? We were just, we had her phone number, so I remember myself personally being in one of the back rooms. We had, for some reason, really a lot of phones, and I just picked up a phone and started calling the same number over and over again. And once I got it, I just heard static, and I just I just started crying and freaking out. Was anybody there to help console you, or was it... My, my dad was there, and he was really great about the whole thing. He was just really supportive. Um, I think as the day went by, more and more people came over. The neighbors came over, just consoling us and then the next day um, my dad went into the city and we were my aunt stayed to come to stay and watch us so when did you actually find out that your mother had passed away well, um, we, we never really officially did uh, the story happens is um, as a lot so many people are trying to find their loved ones safe lists went around in emails to like employees and stuff and so what is a safe list it's a, um, employees would mail around lists of people that they saw that were safe on the street outside of um, the buildings. And so we'd get, keep getting these email lists. And then on one list, my mom's name appeared and we were, it was like a great sigh of relief. And I remember like just being like, yes, mom's alive. And, and it was great. But then a few hours later, the list came again and her name had just 
disappeared like as if someone thought they saw her and like weren't, weren't really sure so mm. it just kind of and that was just the pain just came back even harder that time how long did that list go around and how long before um you saw her name and then didn't see her name i don't really remember the details because i was pretty little but um i guess it like the list came in the morning and i remember specifically thinking that the day that my dad went in the city to search for her that for some reason he'd come back and like she'd be there and it'd be like this great like kind of movie moment like but it just never happened that way it never happened that way what do you remember most about your mom um i guess she was just really really smart um when we were little she was really into computers and technology and stuff so she'd always be teaching us how to make websites and stuff i, I was 10 years old and i knew how to make my own website she actually started off at Marshall McLennan as a computer analyst and like worked her way up slowly and like as we were little she went to school even more she got her um MBA so she was always constantly like learning and striving for greater things and that was like I guess hard-working and smart are those characteristics that you I, I could only hope that I would <laughs> I could say the same thing for myself do you actively think about her when you're trying to you know, go and make your way in this world and make the right choices. It's kind of become a part of who I am, especially now that I'm living here in New York City where she worked. If I'll be going to like an interview or something and I'll be on the subway, it's just kind of strange to think that 11 years ago my mom might have been riding the same subway line, doing the exact same thing, making her way in this world just as I did. Kevin, does September 11th, 2001 feel like it just happened yesterday or does it feel like it's something that happened a long time ago, you know, relativity when it comes to time? It's really difficult because it feels like it happened a long time ago. Um, but every time, every time of the year that September gets closer, it feels as though it was just a few days ago. And it's hard to believe that it happened when I was 10 years old and now I'm 20, that it, half my life I've spent without my mom. Mm. Had you ever been to the Twin Towers before the attacks? Um, actually, yeah. We'd gone a lot. Since my mom worked a lot and my dad worked a lot, they'd have special days where we'd come in to work with them. And so, like some mornings, we'd just get surprised and we'd get to take the day off from school and go into work with mom or something like that. Have you been back since or um, after 2001, September? I've been back a few times. Last year, I spoke at the, the ceremony they had, the memorial ceremony, reading names. I think I usually go back by myself. I'm, I don't think I've ever been there with my family members. I remember when I was little, my dad and I went there with uh, my brother and sister and I'm not sure what year it yet was, but George Bush was speaking, and that was the first time that members were allowed to go down into the, the ground zero, I guess. What was that experience like? I guess at the time I didn't really know what to think. So we just kind of, it was probably really overwhelming. There were, we just had to, we were handed flowers, and we just got to walk down, like single file, and just place a flower down and then kind of leave. It was kind of really strange the way it happened. And then you went home and shared time with your family, or yeah. do you do that every um around the anniversary every year? In the past, we'd usually all come together and just kind of spend time together. There's a um, hometown memorial where I'm from in Lindenhurst, so we usually go there for the for the like ceremony at night. But um, as we're all in college now, it's kind of hard to get together. So sometimes I'd go home since I'm close, but my, my sister's in Hartford, Connecticut, and my brother's in Rochester, so they can't really come home for this. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, talking with Fordham University junior Kevin Klein. Kevin lost his mother, Susan, in the terrorist attacks on September 11th.
when sharing the circumstances surrounding your mom's death, at what time do you know or do you choose to tell someone what happened? Like, how does that come up in a conversation? It's always the hardest because I never know how to bring it up or like how people will react to it. It's always kind of really awkward. And I I don't usually tell someone unless I feel like it's necessary because there's been a lot. I don't, I never really like this, but all the people in the media seem to think that like 9-11 families are, are milking their their loss. But So I never really wanted to come off as that. So I don't really want anyone to see me as, oh, that kid who lost his mom. So I'd rather just people see me as me. And then if I if they ask or if something comes up like involving this, then I'll, I'll tell them. How do most people react? Most people are just kind of sad. I don't think they know how to react to it or how to how to talk to me about it. So they're just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. And then that's just kind of the end of the conversation. How would you want them to react? I don't know. I guess I'd like someone to ask questions. Like, I don't mind talking about it. Everyone kind of plays it off as if it's this big thing that no one can talk about. And you obviously don't mind talking about it, but people tend to shy away from it. Do you think that's for you or for them? Do you think they're kind of want to avoid the conversation or do you think they're trying to be sensitive to I you? I think they're trying to be sensitive to me, like most of all. Um, they're just avoiding making anything really awkward for me or making it really sad. Or, But I, mostly I'd just, just like to tell my mom's story and like make sure she's remembered. So that's my biggest objective. That's what I was going to ask you. How do you choose to remember your mom? There's <laughs> a story in Newsday from when we were little. Um, after we finally decided that my, my mom wasn't coming home, I had this great idea that um, we could send letters to her in heaven. And so um, what we did was we each, everyone in my family just kind of wrote all these letters up. And I had this great idea that we could tie them to balloons and send them up to her. So every every um, year on her birthday, we all get together and we get a whole bunch of thing of balloons and we um, go down to the beach. There's a memorial down at um, Cedar Beach on Long Island. And we go there and we just kind of write messages on the balloon and we just let them go. Kevin, how do you think losing your mom affected your family relationship? I think at first it brought us a lot closer together because for the first month afterward, it was just kind of this grieving together kind of process. Um, we were all just kind of in the house and it was just constant hugs and neighbors coming over and people comforting us. But then um, I think slowly like the loss just kind of aided us as we were each trying to contemplate it in our own way. And did you find that you felt angry? Were you more sad? What emotion dominated you most at that time when you were 10? Having when I was 10, I was, I was angry. Um, I, I really had never experienced anything that great before. That was like pretty much the defining moment of my life to this day. So, um, but as it, I kind of grew older, I kind of became, well, I'm still kind of angry, but more kind of sad now than it, I was at the time. Angry at? Um, Osama bin Laden, terrorists. I didn't really know much about the Middle East back then, so it just kind of instantly in my like 10-year-old mind became the sort of evil movie-like world. How have you come to terms with that anger? How do you turn it into something useful? Or do you? Hopefully I turn it into something useful. I, I've always try to be hardworking, try and make my mom proud of me and like the things I've done. I'm not so much angry anymore. I've come to grips with it. I guess in the recent years it's kind of become trying to help overcome an anti-Islam sort of image because I don't harbor any hatred for that culture, but I know some people do who really don't know much about it at all. So I guess it's really become me trying to help people understand that it's okay. 
Is it hard for you to go into the city? Um, not anymore. When I was younger, it was. But now that I'm here, it's weird when I'm downtown and I see the um, the new One World Trade Center building and it's, it's slowly getting taller and taller and just kind of envisioning in my head where the two towers used to be. The new building definitely brings about new hope, but just the area itself just kind of, it makes me sad. And I'm, I think I'm slowly... You need a minute? Yeah. Uh, I guess it'll always kind of be a, a sad place, but and it's kind of sad that it's taken so long for it to, for the memorial to be built, but I think it's great that it's there, and I love the idea and the concept, so it'll be a, a nice place of remembrance and a nice place of regrowth of New York. Do you have any advice for people who need to turn the pain of tragedy into something positive? Definitely just talking about it really helps a lot. I know when I was little, just holding it in and not telling anyone about it was really hard for me. So definitely talking, um, having an open heart. That was Fordham University junior Kevin Klein. Kevin is among the 3,000 members of Tuesday's Children. Up next on Fordham Conversations, I speak with the head of the organization. My name is Terry Sears, and I'm the executive director of Tuesday's Children, organization that serves the thousands of family members directly impacted by the events of September 11th. What type of programs does Tuesday's Children provide for four children who have lost a parent in the terror attacks? Well, when Tuesday's Children was started, the idea was try to fill in as best we could for the parent lost. So our programs, which were envisioned in the aftermath of 9-11, are pretty much the same to this day. Um, it's a mentoring program where we get a trained, screened adult role model to fill in with the surviving parents so that they have an extra set of eyes and ears on the child. We also do a lot of educational and college and career guidance programs. So as a child is growing up, there's this extra um, set of, of experts or, or hands there to sort of help with um, either the, the college process or in, in, in finding a job. And, and we, we sort of have help with internships along the way as well as a lot of leadership programs that we've done from time to time. You mentioned some mentoring programs, and I read that you had some mental health services. Tuesday's Children has partnered for many years with some of the mental health institutions in New York City. Uh, initially, it was NYU and Columbia. Thankfully, the American Red Cross has provided a grant for Tuesday's Children to offer free mental health counseling um, in advance of the 10th anniversary and for the months afterwards. Now, how has Tuesday's Children grown, or has it? Initially, Tuesday's Children's mission was to provide long-term support for the children who lost a parent on September 11th. Over the years, our mission has expanded. We now help the 9-11 responders, as well as a program for children internationally that have been also impacted by acts of terrorism called Project Common Bond. So let's start with the 9-11 the responders. Specifically, what does Tuesday's Children do to help them? Three years ago, Tuesday's Children was given a government grant to help the 9-11 responders through a variety of programs, programs such as wellness, career guidance, 
uh, many of the guys have had to change their careers. Many of the men and women that work down at Ground Zero uh, are no longer doing the same type of work at the police and the firehouses that they were doing before or in the construction companies that they were working with after um, the events of September 11th. So Tuesday's Children focuses on the whole family. Um, many of these families, their um, provider went down to Ground Zero and spent many months uh, working down there, saw things that no one ever expected to see, and uh, have really found their lives hard to kind of move on with. And I think by coming together, the police, the firemen, the construction workers, we bring them together. We offer wellness weekends. We offer um, opportunities for the whole family to heal together. Now, Terry, you said you started out as an organization to help children specifically of the terror attacks of 2001. And now you've expanded to help children of terror attacks nationwide? No, worldwide, really. Worldwide. Our global program, which is called Project Common Bond, began four years ago where we took a group of about 40 children that were impacted by September 11th and had them reach out to others from around the world. We had children come from Spain, Northern Ireland, Israel, uh, Palestine, and other places that have been impacted by terrorism. That program has grown where we have had 225 children come together from uh, 14 different countries, and that program, it will um, continue to grow in scope and number. The idea of the program is for um, the young adults, their adolescents ages 15 to 20, to come together to not only build a global community of those impacted by acts of terrorism, but to heal together while at the same time learn important peace-building skills. Terry, are the needs of children in other countries different from the needs of children here in the U.S. who have suffered uh, terror attacks? Well, I think there's um, a variety of different resources available depending on, you know, where uh, the country is, where the um, incident had happened. Um, this past year, we had um, victims from the uh, Bethlehem School in Russia come to Project Common Bond, and we had uh, individuals from Sri Lanka. So there's a variety of... Uh, in addition to the many other countries that we had there that we've had in years past, such as, um, you know, Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Spain, and Argentina, and, and a number of other countries such as Israel and Palestine. So depending on the level of, of, of help that would be available to these um, young family members that have been lost a, a sibling or they lost a parent to an act of terrorism, that would be sort of the, where you sort of see the differences in their needs. And also, I would say, uh, the timeline, if it's only been a couple years or whether or not it's been 20 years, uh, the, the participants from Argentina that we had, they had lost a parent when they were two and three years old, and they're now young, young adults, 19, 20 years old, and they want to see how they can take this part of their life story and do something with others that have also been similarly impacted. Do you find that the 
people who have been with Tuesday's children, the children who have been with Tuesday's children, grown up with Tuesday's children, are now becoming mentors to other people in other areas that need the help that have gone through the same thing they have? We do find that. And some of our mentors are um, part of the Tuesday's Children program themselves. And we also have seen we have a mentor whose sister um, was involved in the Virginia um, Tech incident. So there are mentors that have suffered a loss of a parent, um, not from terrorism, but maybe from natural causes or you know, car accidents, et cetera, that have decided that the loss of a parent is something that really impacted them so profoundly that they, in turn, want to give to the children that we serve. Now, Tuesday's Children has published a book called The Legacy Letters. Tell me about this book and why it's important. Well, about a year ago, a New York Times bestselling author, Brian Curtis, came to us and said he has... Um, been profoundly impacted by the work of Tuesday's Children and by the events of September 11th, um, just sort of wanting to do something and wanting to do his part in all of this. And he came to us with this idea of writing a book where family members would write a letter to their loved ones lost, and it would be a form of therapy, a, a form of healing, um, as well as a, a incredible tribute to the, to their loved one and it is really just a terrific wonderful piece um that we have published in advance of the 10th anniversary and we had hundreds of letters and the ones that are published are uh, 100 letters um that are filled with as the book says love and humor and wonder and encouragement and it's really just a a, a beautiful compilation do you have a, a favorite, or it's not fair to say a favorite, but is there one particular story that stands out for you that uh, is in the book? One of my favorite letters is a letter written by Kimberly Raines, who is one of three children that has been involved in our programs. And she is the daughter of Harry Raines, who was born in September of 1963 to Harry and Gloria Raines. And Harry married Lauren, and together they have three children. And this is the letter that his daughter, Kimberly, wrote to her dad. Hi, Daddy. I have seen pictures of us together and can see that you and I have an unbreakable bond. They were pictures where I was sleeping in your lap, me sitting next to you, and ones when we were goofing around and having fun. They are simple things that my friends do with their dads, but I will never get to do them again. Don't feel like you abandoned us. I know you are here with me every day. The two years I spent with you were wonderful. You were the best father in the whole world. I think of you every day. Thank you for being my guardian angel and protecting me from danger. It means a lot to me. Say hello to everybody, especially Joanna. Tell her that seeing her smile brightened my day. I can't even express how much I love you. Love, Kimberly. How are you used to go to the beach and play football and play with his kids and on September 11th he was in the North Tower he was 37 years old and where can someone pick up the book the legacy letters well you can pick it up at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and many of the different bookstores um, that they're around and online as well so Terry what's your advice for people who are still struggling with the pain especially with the 10-year anniversary upon us now 
Well, I think my initial advice would be to please call our office and have either um, our mental health um, staff here or uh, any of our program directors talk to them. Um, and I think uh, many of the programs that we offer, uh, upcoming programs and, and, and programs that um, we could put together uh, if need be, would be helpful. I know that strength in numbers and strength through community has really been the mantra of Tuesday's Children. So we are always looking to get feedback from uh, family members about how we can help them. So that would be my, my first advice. The other thing is Tuesday's Children uh, will be putting out helpful hints from the anniversary, um, ways in which uh, people can cope with the uh, ever-present media attention that will inevitably be part of the events of the anniversary, and also, you know, just sort of ways to have just a quiet, respectful family time so that um, people feel that they, they have the space that they need to, um, to reflect and, um, and remember. Do you find some, some children don't want to uh, focus on that, especially coming up on the anniversary, that it just becomes a little bit too much? Absolutely. I, many family members tell us the TV is off, that they, you know, don't read the newspapers and or listen to the radio um, just so that they don't have to have the constant reminder. And how important is it for someone to be able to tell their story? And why is that important, do you think? Well, I think what Tuesday's Children has always tried to do is honor and respect however a family member or a child wants to grieve um, and or wants to remember. So if somebody is not um, wanting to tell their story, they're not comfortable, and it's a much more private sort of experience, I, I think we want to honor that as well and just provide a variety of opportunities for, for, for people to heal. Terry, what happens when all the kids in Tuesday's Children aren't kids anymore? Well, Tuesday's Children has seen its evolving mission um, as a way to allow these children to grow in many different ways. Certainly through our international program, Project Common Bond, we look at um, these kids as being global spokespeople. We look at them as being leaders for the many different nations and the many different individuals that have been impacted by terrorism since 9-11. Supposedly there's about 110,000 people that have lost a loved one owing to a terrorist act since 9-11. This, unfortunately, is not a problem that is going away. So with the leadership that the Tuesday's Children Kids can show and become vocal spokespeople for the effects of an act of terrorism on one's family and on one's life. That, that's a, a real opportunity that I think will continue to present itself uh, for the families that we serve. Terry, do you think that the fact that your, uh, your mission moving forward is to continuously help people is going to be what causes it to have longevity, you know, when kids are aging out of these other organizations? Well, I think there's a number of areas in which Tuesday's children still um, needs to provide programs and services, certainly for the 9-11 responders who, unfortunately, uh, their needs continue to increase over time. There's nearly 1,000 of the men and women that worked at Ground Zero that have died. Their average age at death is 46, um, mm. when we know life expectancy in America is much higher than that. 
by decades. Yeah. Um, that certainly is a startling um, fact. I think that um, also uh, since terrorism seems to be, um, and also, you know, incidences like genocide um, and other um, sort of political incidents that cause violence related to terrorism, I think that's where Tuesday Children will see program expansion internationally mm-hmm. and um, and also this sharing of, of lessons learned. Uh, we also know that uh, the um, men and women that went to Iraq and Afghanistan, that many of the 9-11 family members want to reach out to them and thank them for their service. And I think there's opportunities for both populations to heal in bringing them together. So we look at our program sort of expanding where we're going to get, try to get the 9-11 children and family members together with, with the wounded warriors, with the vets that are also suffering from maybe some PTSD, depression, anxiety, and have them heal together. It's a population that I think um, ha- has a lot to share with one another. Okay. And, and Terry, what will you be doing on the 10-year anniversary of September 11th? Well, we offer a lunch every year. Um, to our family members down near Ground Zero, and we will be doing that lunch as well this year. Uh, I think we have close to 500 people coming to that lunch, and that's where we will be. My thanks to Terry Sears, Executive Director of Tuesday's Children. I'd also like to thank Fordham Jr., Kevin Klein, and 11-year-old Kimberly Raines. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next. I'm Robin Shannon.